I wonder what you think of when you hear the phrase, the Ten Commandments. I got to be honest, my first thought is actually nostalgic. I think about a littler version of me with my young cousins in the basement at my dad's parents' house watching the movie with Charlton Heston on TV every time we got together for Easter. The, the tradition back then, I don't know if broadcast television still exists, but the tradition back then was that one of the networks would show the movie to align with Passover and Easter every single year because it was a part of our cultural ethos to, to include the Ten Commandments. My second thought was to a court case that happened maybe about 25 years ago in the southern United States where a judge was ordered to and refused to remove the Ten Commandments from the wall of his courtroom because he insisted that whatever justice means, whatever law stands for in our culture, it has to be built on the Ten Commandments. Maybe if you grew up in a different um, church tradition than this one, you learned the Ten Commandments in catechism class on your, in your preparation for your profession of faith, and you learned it as sort of a, the, the Christian moral ethic of what it looks like in our morality to follow Jesus. Or if you grew up outside the church, you know, like my neighbors, maybe for you it is what it is for them, where you know, they would say if everybody followed the Ten Commandments, maybe the world would be a, a better place in general. Um, for some of us, maybe we grew up without any affiliation to the church, and to you, the phrase Ten Commandments relates more to the last self-help book you read, the Ten Commandments of Business Success, or the Ten Commandments of Parenting Secure Kids, or something like that, that it describes uh, the way things generally ought to be if things are going to turn out the way they generally ought to be, or something like that. It's a lot of different conceptions of what the Ten Commandments are. They're part of our culture. They're embedded in our law code. They're, um, they are a good moral ethic. They're specifically Christian ethic. Like, and what if I told you that all of those conceptions have a, a kernel of truth to them, but that the Ten Commandments are actually none of those things? And then what we're going to spend our time on, both in this six-week series and then again this coming winter in a second series on the Ten Commandments, we're going to spend our time trying to understand what the Ten Commandments actually are and the difference that they ought to play, the role they ought to play in our lives. And so that's where we pick up our study of the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 1, where it says this, on the third new moon, or the third month, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord, that's the name of God, Yahweh, called to Moses from the mountain. This is what you should declare to the Israelites. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagle's wings and brought you to me. In these verses, God kind of summarizes the story that we've spent the last year looking at throughout the book of Exodus, how God raised up Moses as a leader within Israel to confront Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let God's people go from slavery in Egypt and how God had rained the 10 plagues down on Egypt and parted the Reed Sea so that Israel could be freed from slavery forever. It's 
the story of how God lifted Israel up on eagle's wings and brought them, how God carried them through the wilderness, providing water and food and protection and community leadership so they could begin to become the community that God had rescued them to be. But then God ends by saying, I lifted you up on eagle's wings and I brought you to me. The whole point of the Exodus was for God to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, out of service to Pharaoh, to bring Israel to God's self, to meet with God at Mount Sinai. That's what God had promised Moses way back in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses met God at the burning bush, God said, you're going to lead Israel out of slavery and you're going to bring them back here to meet with me. And if you read the rest of Exodus 19, and I encourage you to do it sometime this week, in the story, God settles, his, God's powerful presence settles on the mountain in thunder and lightning and earthquakes and rumbling. And God meets with Israel to give them the Ten Commandments. That is the climax of the story of the book of Exodus. That is the centerpiece of this grand epic narrative of Israel. It is the beating heart of the Jewish scriptures. This moment of God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Not because God is into all sorts of religious rule keeping. We've talked about that so much as a community that that's not at any level what God wants. What religious rule keeping does, all it does is it creates in us this impulse to manage our image and this, our, uh, an impulse to judge people who aren't measuring up. It creates in us this performance for each other and people pleasing and this religious overachieving, it creates hypocrisy and rationalizing bad decisions. And it's all kind of rooted in guilt and fear and shame. And none of it, none of it is what God wants. God brought Israel out of slavery to meet with God at the mountain and to give God the 10 commandments because what God wanted was not rules but relationship. In the very next verse, in Exodus 19.5, God says, So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples. God says, I've brought you here to enter into covenant, to relationship with you. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 24, after God has given most of the instructions, it says that Moses made a ritual sacrifice, and then Moses took the blood from the sacrifice and threw it over the people. Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh now makes with you on the basis of all these words. The story concludes with Moses saying, we've now entered into covenant, into relationship with God. That category of covenant is an important one in the Bible and in the ancient world. Covenants were a very common form of doing foreign relationships between nations, especially if you had the leader of a superpower who wanted to enter into a, a treaty or a covenant with a smaller nation. They would formalize this agreement. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And the leader of the superpower would say, listen, we will, we're bigger and stronger. We'll take care of you. We will provide humanitarian aid. We will look out for you. Um, and what we want from you is for you to help us supply some labor and for you to sell us oil at a cheap price. <laughs> and they would enter into covenant relationship, into friendship as nations, even though it was unequal. And those covenants, those documents had a very specific format to them. The first thing that would, they would do in the document is identify the two parties entering into the covenant, the initiating party and the agreeing party. And then they would list the kind of the history of their relationship with each other. And then would come the stipulations. These are the things that I expect from you if you're going to be faithful to the covenant. Then after that, they would inscribe the covenants on two stone tablets and one would go to each nation. So they both had a copy of the covenant they had just agreed to. And then at the end, it would list the blessings and the curses, the blessings that would happen if everybody stuck to the covenant and the curses that would befall them if somebody violated their end of the covenant. It was a way of entering into relationship, into friendship with each other. That is what God is doing with Israel. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1, that's where the covenant actually begins. And it starts the way covenants begin. It says, then God spoke all these words. I am Yahweh, your God. That's God's name. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God identifies the two parties of the covenant, Yahweh and Israel, and describes their historical relationship. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And then come the Ten Commandments, the stipulations of the covenant. God saying to Israel, this is who I want you to be for me, given everything that I have been for you. Then they inscribed the covenant on two stone tablets. In verse 31, it says, When God finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written with the finger of God, one copy for God, one copy for Israel. And then Israel kept them both because God was always with Israel. And then what's the last thing? The blessings and the curses. If you fast forward to the end of the next book, the book of Leviticus in chapter 26, there, after all the instructions have been given, there are the blessings that will happen if you are faithful to the covenant and the curses that will happen if you violate it. God is at this moment at Mount Sinai, not just giving the Ten Commandments. God is entering into a relationship of mutual love with God's people. Based on God's unconditional love for Israel in the way that God rescued them from slavery and brought them to God's self and rooted in Israel's unconditional love for God, born out of the gratitude of everything that God has done and committed to in grateful obedience, becoming the people God had created and saved them to be. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They are not religious rules and regulations that you have to follow if you want God to love you and bless you. That's not what this is about. God has already loved them in rescuing them from slavery. God has already loved us in Jesus. God's love is already on the table. It is our 
grateful response of love to God's saving love for us. It's not, you know, a specific and comprehensive list of all the things that we have to obey if we're going to live right. Um, The rabbis, when they explored the Jewish law, they found up to 613 laws. These are not, these 10 words from God are not the specific laws. They are the vision. They are the values that underlie everything about who Israel was to be out of their love, their grateful love for God. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments are more like the Constitution than they are like the legal code. The Constitution describes who we're going to be. And the legal code sort of describes all the ways that that should work itself out. That's what God, it's an aspirational vision of the kind of people we want to be for God out of our grateful love for who, what God has done for us. They are not um, you kind of unconditional or, or unbreakable rules in the sense that if you mess up on these, God is done with you. God has got too much grace and forgiveness for that. God will not break God's end of the covenant. Fast forward a couple of decades and Moses' successor, Joshua, is leading the next generation of Israel through a renewal of this covenant agreement. And Joshua says, this is what God is inviting you into. And all the Israelites say, we will do what God asks. And Joshua says, no, you won't. No, you won't. But it's okay. Because God is gracious and merciful and is inviting you to lean in. That's what this is. The closest analogy to what the Ten Commandments are in our modern culture would be this. The Ten Commandments are the wedding vows we make in our relationship with God. Not that God and us are equal partners, of course. But what are wedding vows? When two people are madly and unconditionally in love with each other, They come together in the midst of the community to declare the gift that the other person has been to them and to cement the commitment of their relationship for all time. And how do they do that? They look at each other in the eyes and they make vows to be unconditionally for each other, to be exclusively devoted to each other, forsaking all others, to be committed to each other in adversity and sickness, to love and to cherish each other in all things. Though They aren't the specific behaviors that they will live out day after day, but they are the vision for the kind of spouse they want to be because of their grateful love for their spouse. And they live out those vows in a million ways every single moment of every single day. And they're not objectively inviolable. We, we break those vows in marriage every day. For those of us who are married, we can attest to that reality. We don't perfectly live out our vows. But that doesn't mean that the vows are meaningless or, or the relationship is over. It, every time we fall short of who we aspire to be out of grateful love to our spouse, it's just another moment to recommit, to deepen our conviction, to deepen our devotion, and to lean in to become more of the person we promised to be. 
the end of the day, that's what the Ten Commandments are. God, in God's unconditional love, in God's desire to be unconditionally for us, God has rescued us in Christ Jesus. And now, God is asking us, as an act of unconditional love, as a way of being unconditionally for God, to pledge to be Ten Commandment kinds of people out of grateful love for everything God has done for us. To be the kinds of people who unconditionally love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, which is the heartbeat of the first four commandments that we'll look at in this series. To be the kind of people who unconditionally love everybody else as much as we love ourselves, which is the beating heart of commandments five through 10, which we'll look at in the winter. Um, which are the vision of the kind of life that is the capital L life that Jesus promises us as we live into our relationship of love with God. Because, of course, Jesus himself is the ultimate embodiment. Jesus is the ultimate incarnation of what this covenant love looks like. Jesus is the ultimate incarnation of the covenant love of humanity for God, living out a life of perfectly loving God and perfectly loving the people around anybody that God brought across Jesus' path, perfectly loving all of humanity. And Jesus invites us to love God the way Jesus loved God. Jesus is the perfect incarnation of the way that God has unconditionally loved us. In Jesus' coming and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus embodies in every way the unconditional way that God is for us in love, in a rescuing, saving love. Jesus is the perfect incarnation of the one who fulfilled the covenant, who brought it to its fullness by sending the Holy Spirit into our lives, filling us with the life of Jesus. So it is the life of Jesus that spills out of us and makes us able to live up to our wedding vows with God, makes us able to become the people that we promised God, that we would be in an act of grateful love, makes us able to live towards that vision of what loving God back could be. Because that's who Jesus is. A covenant is why God brought Israel to Mount Sinai to enter into a mutual relationship of unconditional, unbreakable love that from our end looks like a life lived in the shape of the love of God and the love of people as described by the Ten Commandments. Those are our wedding vows to God that we will in grateful love be those kinds of people in response to what God has done for us. In the ancient world, to ratify a covenant, two things had to happen. A sacrifice had to be made, and then a meal, a celebration 
was had together. That's why on the night before Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross, Jesus is the sacrifice of our covenant. He stood with his disciples and he offered them a loaf of bread and a cup of wine and said, let's eat and drink together for these symbols the bread which symbolizes Jesus' body and the wine which symbolizes Jesus' blood shed on the cross, Jesus says, these are the symbols of the new covenant. And every time we take them together, we are renewing our wedding vows, remembering the ways that God has unconditionally loved us in Jesus and renewing our commitment to unconditionally love God by living out the vows that God has laid in front of us in the Ten Commandments. Let's renew our vows this morning.